So today we begin our sermon series for Lent, which I'm calling it The Crossroads. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about crossroads issues of faith, issues that we struggle with, issues that give us the opportunity to make a choice of spiritual direction to go God's way or our own. And this morning we begin with an issue that I think many of us struggle with, and that's worry. Yeah, I'm already seeing heads nodding, worry, yeah. Of all of the creatures that God created, we are the only ones that worry. And we worry about a lot of stuff, don't we? COVID, freak winter storms, gas prices, the stock market, taxes, health issues, relationships, marriages, parents worry about children, children worry about parents, it's not surprising then that many of the best-selling books on the nonfiction list, on the New York Times bestseller list, are about things we worry about. Health, change, relationships, and money. We worry and we worry and we worry, and then we worry about our worrying, and then we buy books to help us manage all the things that we're worrying about. Seriously, friends, what is all this worry about in our lives? Why do we worry so much? Well, frankly, I think it's ultimately about control. Any mental health professional worth their salt will tell you that. Worries about control. Because, you see, we human beings, we like to feel in control, right? I know I do. I like to feel like I'm in control. When we feel like we're out of control, it's scary for us. And so we use worry to try to feel like we're in control. We believe somehow that if we worry enough about something, that's gonna give us some modicum of control over what will happen to us. Think about it for a minute. Worry tends to come in two flavors. First, there's a kind of worry that's about controlling the future. We think if we worry enough about something that we can control the outcome. I worry and worry and worry that I might lose my job and somehow deep down I think that if I worry enough about that, I'll, I'll keep that from happening. And then there's the other kind of worry that is about preparedness or the illusion of it. We worry and we worry and we worry and we figure, well then, if the thing I'm really afraid of happens, at least I've worried so much that I'm prepared, you know, I'll be ready. So I worry and I worry and I worry that I might lose my job. Then the pink slip comes and I figure all that worry is going to pay off. I'm going to know what to do when it happens. My friends, all of this begs the question, it's out there. Is this true? Does worry work for us? Does it really work that way? If we worry and worry and worry, can we control what happens? If we worry and worry and worry, are we more prepared if the thing we're afraid of actually comes to pass? You know, in a former congregation, I had a, a friend, a congregant, who had a heart attack when he was pretty young. He was about 40, which is young for a heart attack, and it was, it was a major heart attack. He lived through it, he recovered, 
His doctors told him that the primary reason he'd have the heart attack was, was genetic, actually, but that he could make some lifestyle changes and take his medication and see his doctors regularly, and he would probably live a, a normal length of life if he just did those things. So he was very responsible. He put all of that into practice. He seemed to be fine, but his wife was not. After he had that heart attack, she worried constantly that he would have another one. Worried all the time, worried herself sick over it. She worried if he was gone too long on an errand and didn't come back when she expected him to, that he'd had another heart attack right in the middle of Walmart and they had taken him away in an ambulance and she was missing the entire thing. She worried that if they went on vacation, he might have a heart attack on the plane or he could have a heart attack somewhere where his doctors were not and that would be very bad. And so she worried herself to the point that she couldn't enjoy any sort of vacation and then got to where she would resist going at all. She worried every time he got sick, even if it was just a cold. She was so afraid somehow it would affect his heart. She worried and she worried and she worried and she worried. 24-7, she worried about his health. Now, my friends, did her worry prevent her husband from having another heart attack? No, of course not. Did all of that worry prepare her so if he did have another cardiac event, she'd be able to handle it better? I'd argue no. I, I think it would actually have been the opposite. But I tell you what it did do. It made her miserable because it robbed her of her peace. You see, friends, the terrible irony of worry is that we use it in order to try to gain control, but what actually happens if we worry all the time is that it gains control of us. No wonder the Greek word for anxiety is anonki, which means throat. Anonki was the word that the Greeks used for the yoke that went around the necks of slaves. The parallel drawn is obvious, isn't it? Worry can get a chokehold on our life. Excessive worry can hold us back, can actually make us its slave. So I'm going to go ahead and answer the obvious question that we've already asked. Does worry really work? No. It just makes us miserable. Or as Jesus says, which one of us has added a single day to our lives? by worrying. So my friends, this is why Jesus asks us not to worry so much. Don't worry so much. He says, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Don't worry about tomorrow because today's problems are enough for today. You see, Jesus, who loves us so much, wants us to understand that it is an unhealthy and sad waste of the precious gift of life to spend it wrapped up in anxiety, worrying endlessly about a future that we cannot control. So, his advice to us, 
the first thing to do if we want to deal with worry in a healthy way is to live for today. Live for today. Live in today. Live mindfully today. Today's troubles are enough for today, he says. Live today, because friends, if you get right down to it, that's all we've really got, right? Yesterday is past. Tomorrow is not yet realized. What we have is today. And how sad it is to trade our todays for a tomorrow that may never be realized at all. You know, some years ago, I read an article in the New York Times that was very familiar. I'm sure we've all read articles like it dozens of times. There's a man who was well-known in his neighborhood, a familiar sight, worn-out clothes on his back, worn-out shoes on his feet, live in a tiny, dingy apartment with broken-down furniture, collected cans, pushed a cart around the neighborhood, picking up stuff to turn in for a few dollars, did a lot of dumpster diving, ate near rotten food, pinched every penny, never went out for so much as a cup of coffee, had very few friends, never ever left his neighborhood, put foil in the windows of his apartment to keep the heat and the light out so he could save just a tiny bit more in his electric bill. And then one day he died. And they went to clean out his apartment. And underneath his little bed, they found over a million dollars in cash in a box. He was so worried about his future. He was so worried that somehow he wouldn't have enough. He traded the bulk of his days, the bulk of his two days, for a tomorrow that could never come. You see, my friends, that's how worry works. What it will do if we let it is steal our life from us one day at a time, filling our todays with endless thoughts and worries about tomorrow. And that is a huge price to pay, isn't it, for an illusion of control? I have always loved the way Dale Carnegie talks about living fully today in his book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Y'all know that one? It's old. It's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. He calls living fully today living in daytight compartments. Isn't that a great image? day-tight compartments. He says, live fully today. Deal with whatever you must deal with today, and then shut the door behind you and move on to the next. Carnegie got this idea from the way submarines are constructed. I'm sure many of you know they're made up of a series of watertight compartments. They're made that way so that if water gets into the vessel, it will not fill the entire thing and sink it. If those watertight compartments weren't there, the water would get in then, and then the entire crew would be lost. Carnegie says, no one can take on all of the regrets of yesterday and all of the what-ifs of tomorrow. It will sink you. 
So live fully today, he says, in a daytight compartment, for as Jesus says, today's problems are enough for today. And while we're living in those daytight compartments, appreciating the gift of right now, Jesus' final bit of advice is this put God first. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. See, Jesus invites us to think first of God, to pray first about God, to act first, to live into and bring about God's kingdom rather than think first about what we're worried about or pray first about what we're worried about or act in such a way that our worry is first interactions out in the world. Put God first, he says. Focus each day first on God's kingdom and his righteousness, and you can break the chokehold then of worry. Now, friends, I want to be clear here about what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying that if we focus first on God, if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that then God will step in and correct all of our mistakes. He's also not saying that God will prevent us from ever experiencing any suffering, any pain, any persecution. And Jesus is not saying that we could just, you know, throw out our need for food or that we should adopt some sort of passive stance in our lives, that we shouldn't plan responsibly for the future. Remember, Jesus is the one who taught us to pray and included in his prayer give us this day our daily bread. And he never, ever criticized an honest day's work. Jesus is also not saying that the grass and the lilies will live on happily ever after. Because you and I know Jesus knew the Hebrew Scriptures by heart. And Jesus remembered that the prophet Isaiah says, the grass fades, the flowers wither away, but the word of God is eternal, it goes on forever. So then, what is Jesus saying here? Well, friends, I think that Jesus is saying that we who do not control our birth or our death, are ultimately helpless, that we cannot control the future through worry. But if we trust in God, well then, you see, we, we tether ourselves to an eternal power and purpose. If the goal of our life is to keep the heart beating and the stomach expanding in perpetuity, eventually we're all going to fail. But if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, appreciating and living fully in each day, then we will be given what we really need. It's not control. It's confidence. We'll be given confidence to live each day in grace, We'll be given confidence to build our lives upon the assurance that nothing in this world or the next can ever take away the one thing that will really save us. 
And that is the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. God in all of God's holy wisdom knows it isn't control that we need. It's confidence in that love. So my friends, are you tired of worrying all the time? Is excessive worry an issue in your life? Tired of going your own way on this one? Ready instead to perhaps choose God's road? Well, then you can. Choose to live each day fully. Live in that daytight compartment. Be mindful about your life and present in it. And put God first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness every single day. And you will have the confidence to take on whatever comes your way. Friends, if it's control that we want, we're not going to get it. But if we long for peace, Jesus promises it can be ours. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, we confess to you that we worry an awful lot. We are grateful that you understand us better than we understand ourselves. Lord, fill us with your, your confidence and your peace. Help us to live each day fully appreciating the gift that it is. And most of all, Lord, help us to keep you first, to think and pray and act first out of our love for you and our gratitude for all you have done for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.